What about this gas bill, eh? President Fred owes the South Bellum Gas Board three pounds, 12 shillings and ninepence. <laughs> oh. Look, I'll tell you what. Go down to the basement, read the meter, and just make sure. Right. Come, Eccles. That'll give us breathing space, Moriarty. Good, good, good. I say, how yes. empty the room is without him. Sapristi! <laughs> the counter-revolutionaries with tanks are attacking! We've got to evacuate. Why? The rent's much too high here. Pack the floor, we're leaving. I'll bring the ceiling. So the cowardly swans have run away. They're frightened of Il General Aston Villa. This podcast in Apple Podcasts is actually categorized as part of the TV and film category, even though it is actually mainly focused on a, an old radio show. Uh, we do talk about films and TV, of course, but anyway, that's that's what it's categorized as. Um, and it's not to be confused with some similarly named podcasts, such as Boon Pod, which is devoted to the 1980s Michael Elphick television show. Um, uh, there's, there's Moon Pod, which... Uh, celebrates the character of Alfie Moon from EastEnders, played by Shane Ritchie. Is he still in that? Um, and there's also the very confusing Terry and June pod, and I've really got no idea what that one's about. Uh, this week I have got, all the way from Australia, um, wonderful podcaster who goes by the name of Jeffers, and Jeffers is the host of the incredible podcaster Cat Flappo podcast and he and I had a fantastic conversation talking about a particular goon show which is very dear to his heart and um, I hope you enjoy the chat. You don't know this but I've been aware of your voice or aware of you for god it must be coming on for a, a decade maybe um, because how long ago did you start the goodies podcast? Yeah that was um early 2010. Yeah right okay. So I would have come across that probably, yeah, around about 2011, 2012, something like that. Because um, back in those days, as you probably know yourself, um, you know, fans of TV comedy like us, there, there was there was slim pickings uh, when it came to <laughs> podcasts that catered for our tastes. Um, uh, that's certainly not the case these days, but back then, you know. So I would sometimes, you know, on iTunes, I'd search for... Keywords like I don't know Blackadder or Steptoe or Goodies, and I and I that must have thrown up your podcast back in the day. And I listened. I remember um, downloading all of the available ones at the time and just binge listening because uh, you know I'm a huge fan of. Uh, well, I was a huge fan of the Goodies. I've kind of I still am, but I don't watch them so much these days. I don't know why. Um, you're Australian. Um, I, yes, I yes. grew up in New Zealand. The goodies were huge down under. Um, yeah. Are they, are they still shown in Australia? Or Yeah, I wouldn't know. I mean, certainly not on free-to-air. There's a few streaming services around the globe that have mm. um, got the goodies playing at the moment. 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, because I've got them on DVD, of course, now, and that took a squillion years. I think it was 2018 before they finally all got released on DVD. So now I just, you know, watch them on that. It was you yourself, and was it, um, was it Jane? Was that your? Yeah, yeah, my wife Jane. Yeah, is it your your wife? Yeah, okay. Mm. And and there was clearly a lot of love um, between you and Jane, but also a lot of love for the goodies. <laughs> Yeah, in a way. I mean, as you've rightly pointed out, we are all raised on it. So in Australia, mm. you, you get home, uh, it's the afternoon and the ABC would be playing, you know, I mean, it constantly changed, but they'd play this lineup of you might get Banana Man and then you'll get um, the goodies and that would lead up to Doctor Who. And so, mm. you know, while poor old Doctor Who fans in the UK are starving for Doctor Who, we were just getting repeats endlessly on the ABC and uh, we'd get all these goodies and then that would just go on and on for what seemed like years and what was years has, has the goodies podcast now has that finished officially or is it still kind of in suspended animation yeah exactly exactly i'll throw out an episode uh, every now and again i mean so we had an anniversary a couple of years ago so i did a whole bunch of episodes in a row in fact uh, last year 2022 i actually got on the biggest roll i'd been on in years and we put out four or five episodes in a row something like that but then prior to that we'd had a couple of years where we'd put out like two or three episodes but when we started out and this is why i admire goon pod is we were going weekly and it's very difficult to keep up that sort of weekly pace and Mm. so then we ended up going to monthly and then it just devolved to uh, an episode whenever (laughs) yeah yeah, I'm hoping I will not. Obviously, I've had a. There's been a break on this podcast for through necessity, but mm-hmm. I'm hoping that I can continue the weekly format for the foreseeable, at least. Um, and as well as the goodies podcast, uh, I, I I have dipped into um, sitcom showdown, which is another podcast you do. Ah, yeah, that one is more regular. Yeah, that's that's monthly. Mm. I'll do that one with my brother, Steve. And mm-hmm. that's like, in, in a way, I don't even consider it one of my podcasts because it's it was very much his idea. And so, um, you know, we'll just get together here in my little office and uh, watch a sitcom together. And, um, you know, it used to be the format was uh, Steve or I would bring in something and not tell the other one what it was. And then you go away and watch it, get the reaction and talk about it afterwards. But then we found for various reasons that doesn't work. Um, And so now recently we've taken to actually saying, here's what we're going to watch. You've got a week to watch it and then bring your comments in. And so we just do a uh, a different sitcom each month. It's lots of fun. Oh, great, great. Again, while I was away, I had a lot of time to watch stuff and, you know, um, I had stuff downloaded on my laptop and all the rest of it. And I... I would consider one of the most joyful half hours of comedy ever is the Nolan sisters episode of filthy rich and cat flap. Okay. And I watched that and I mentioned that specifically because obviously you're currently going strong with, um, podcasto cat flapo, which is a a podcast, which is dedicated to, um, the, the, the underappreciated, Filthy Rich and Cat Flap television series. Oh, that was superbly well phrased. Yeah, yeah. No, it is it is underappreciated because it was sort of sandwiched there, wasn't it? In between the young ones and bottom. And there's huge fan bases for both and people that really love those shows. And quite rightly. And poor old Cat Flap is in the middle and people sort of say, well, that's the transition from one to the other. And sort of, you know, I'd argue against that for all sorts of reasons, but I won't get started on that. But yeah, yeah, it's... um. 
I love Cat Flap so much, and it is my favourite Rick and Aid show, and it's it's my favourite, uh, you know, sitcom, so to speak, or just comedy of all time. And trying to get any information on it is, it's impossible. Um, that might be a bit of an exaggeration, but compared to, because I'd come from the goodies, and then we had, like, beautiful works by Robert Roth, and particularly Andrew Pixley, who I consider yep. the god of goodies research, Every scrap of goodies information I could ever want was at my fingertips. And I guess, in a way, if you're a Goons fan and you come in fresh now, having never had it before, you'd have a lot of information at your fingertips. But the beauty of Cat Flap is that because no one's done any research and I'm so hungry for information, every little scrap that I learn from people is like this amazing breakthrough. And I'm constantly having my mind blown by things. And um, it's like, you know, being the first man on the moon in a way in that I don't think anyone else had bothered to ask the BBC for the scripts, for example. And so when I get a script of Cat Flap and I can see, oh, my God, um, in episode two that you were just mentioning, there's so many bits cut out. And I look at the script in it and it blows my mind and I go, that is so exciting to know that they would have recorded this and cut it out or they've changed this line and that line. And um yeah, so it's 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 a joy to have something that's not been researched in a way, even though it, it is a bit harder, which uh, makes life difficult, but um, it's fun, you know. The guys that did the recent Bottom podcast uh, are in the process, or they may have even completed it now. We're in the process of writing a book about Bottom, and I think there's also, well, I know there's another book about Bottom that's come out recently. I, I Forgive me, I forget who, yeah, that's the... uh, Simon Dunn, yeah. That's and it's Simon called Dunn. Proctology, yes. a Bottom that's Examination. Right. That's right. Um, I haven't picked that up yet, but um, I don't know whether that or, or the other Bottom book that's coming out, whether they have a sort of chapter dedicated to Catflap. Yeah, certainly in Proctology, um, there's a bunch of pages on Catflap, which is cool. Um, mm. And I've had the pleasure of talking with Simon a little bit, you know, just typing away on Messenger. Um but yeah, yeah, the Talking Bottom podcast, That's I'd recommend people check that out. And that was a massive influence on me because I'd listened to it and I'd love it. And then I just thought, I have to do this with Cat Flap. So they were a big influence on me. And I, I backed the book. Um, and so, yeah, they uh, just did their crowdfunding for it. And now we're waiting. And they, they released an update recently, so, you know, saying we are working on this and we are getting it done. But, um, geez, mm. it's going to be good when it comes out. Mm. I like the young ones, of course I do. Um, but I would say that uh, you know, and when it comes to order of preference, when it comes to Rick and Aid uh, vehicles, if you like, but right. bottom is number one. Mm -hmm. um, Cat flap is number two. Okay, and I'm not going to say the young ones is number three. I'm going to say Mister Jolly Lives Next Door is number three. Aha! Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm. Wow. And you wouldn't be alone in that. There's there's a lot of love out there for Mr. Jolly Lives Next Door. Um, if if people listening aren't aware, um, Mr. D Mr. Jolly Lives Next Door was one of the, was part of the comic strip strand. Uh, you know, well, I'll I'll give you the chance to to do a proper plug for podcaster Cat Flapper at the end, Jeffers. That's <laughs> no right. worries. Yeah. Um. So, first of all, can I ask you? Can you give me a rough indication of your age? When when were you born? Yeah, I'm very close to you, I think, Tyler. So I'm a 73. Uh, I was going to say kid, but far from it. Jeez. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to be 50 this year. Right. Okay. So you're a year older than me. Cool. Okay. Mm. And obvious question, how did you how did you get into the goons? How did you discover the goons? Oh, 
um, it, it was late in life because, I mean, the, the brilliant thing about hearing your guests is quite often they've had someone who exposed them to the goons by playing the records at home. You know, maybe it was your mum or dad or whatever. But that wasn't the case for me. And it was um, the mid-2000s. Um, I'd going through this stage where I had ABC Radio National playing um, while I was sleeping, you know, just for background noise. Um, and it was Radio National because, of course, they play a lot of comedies and it's just people speaking in a very soothing way and that sort of stuff. And me and Jane have stuff running in the background at night, softly in the background there. And anyway, at that stage, we were getting through like tons of Dad's Army radio versions, which I got. And like they had Larry Martin as Private Walker and you had mm. John Snag doing the wartime announcements and, and this sort of stuff. And we listened to heaps of men from the ministry Um choosing episodes of that was a bit of a disagreement with Jane because she likes Wilfred Hyde White as number one and I like Derek Guiler. But anyway, I bought these discs <laughs> on eBay. Wow. Um, so that, that's that's caused domestic disturbances in your marriage, yeah. is it? Oh, well, yeah, mm. I wouldn't go that far, but, you know, probably <laughs> close. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd get these discs on eBay, like with all of men from the ministry on them, and I'd, then I'd get back on there and buy signed photos of Richard Murdoch and stuff. But anyway, this this one night I woke up and I'd heard this Goons episode and I didn't know what it was uh, because I'd, I knew the Goons existed and I knew that, uh, you know, Peter Sellers and Spike Milligan were in it. I'd never actually heard one. Um, anyway, so Foiled by President Fred was on. I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was about the point where Nettie's being unwrapped from his mysterious parcel post by... Moriarty and Grit Pipe, and I was so intrigued by what the hell was going on, you know, because this episode, as we'll find out, is pretty, it's difficult to work out. And I got up and I started finding a tape to record on while Ellington was on, and mm. um, my recording, it began with Green Slade. Here for idiots is a resume. <laughs> the revolution so far. Thank you. And... Uh, it was so packed with great gags and it was all this fast paced action and double crosses and plays on words. Anyway, and then I heard Eccles refer to Blue Bottle um, in a famous bit we'll get to later on. And I, I thought, ah, Blue Bottle, this must be the goons um, that I've been hearing about. Oh, so you and, didn't realise it was the goons when you first when no, you were no, searching for I mean, a tape. I was, right. Yeah, I was still a bit groggy, you know, and it was middle of the night sort of deal. Um, yeah, so then I'd just keep listening back to this half an episode of the goons and then i'd try to record some next week or whatever i was still working on tapes even though it was the mid 2000s um anyway so i had to get the whole episode so later on might have even been a year or two later i found a disc on ebay with all the goons episodes as they were at the time on there and that's eventually i heard the first half of foiled by president fred mm. okay okay so have you now listened to a lot of others Yes, yes, I have. Um, yeah, so when I got this disc, and I mean, this is before, I don't know where they got these episodes from, but the quality, a lot of them was absolutely terrible. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I pretty much chose the ones I listened to based on which ones were listenable in terms of quality sure. and stuff. Um, yeah. So I'd have this handful of Goons episodes, probably about 30 of them that I would just listen to, and the others got left behind. Um, then I'd edit them all. And stuff like this. And I, I know now there's way better versions that have since been played because you've got, you know, guys like Keith Wickham and Ted Kendall and stuff, and they've done this amazing work. Mm. Mm. Um, the the versions are so much better now. But um, 
I missed out on the whole, um, you know, if you'd come to it earlier in life, you have the pleasure or, or curse, depending on how you see it, of, um, you know, you go and get the tapes and then you listen to that tape and wait for the next release patiently. Yeah. And then yeah. you trade with people. And I loved seeing those cassette covers that you posted up on Twitter recently. That was just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And it's sort yeah. of the same way I would trade videos of the goodies with people. Um, as well, just, you know, you've got this, oh, I've got that. And then, you know, let's share these and da, 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 da. Yeah, so, it is, uh, it is a little bit sad, I suppose. You do miss that back in the day when there wasn't stuff everywhere, when, when, you know, you can get anything you want these days, pretty much. If it is, if it exists somewhere, you can get it, you know? And yeah, I do miss those days when those days of linear television, even, you know, when I used to tape a weekly, whatever sitcom it might be, yeah. Blackadder Goes Forth, for example, I was I was counting down the days between each episode, you know, waiting for the next episode. Um, and then you'd tape it and then watch it over and over that week, and then you've watched it 15 times before the next episode rolls around, yeah. Yeah, exactly, absolutely. And, I'd, you know, I'd, and yeah, when I because I discovered the goons when I was much, you know, I was 13 or 14, and... And at first I had to wait for the, cause it was the yeah, national radio in New Zealand. I had to wait for the weekly, each episode I had to wait a week for. Uh-huh. Um, and then gradually, you know, I'd start getting the commercial release of the tapes and whatnot that the BBC put out. And then I joined the GSPS and was able to access their archive of shows. So, you know, gradually I amassed all the shows, but yeah, uh, for you, you could just pretty much like say access everything in one go. Although yeah, pretty ropey copies i guess but at least you know you've 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 heard a good couple of dozen episodes and, and you've oh got a yeah, yeah. Good i mean of the show absolutely no i've heard them all um mm-hmm. and then so what i would do is i mean president fred's an example so i would do in 2015 i went through because as i'd been doing the goodies podcast i learned more about audio editing so then in 2015 i went through all the original episodes that i had on this disc which is many 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 dozens and I'd edit them and run noise reduction and all that. And some of them were still so bad that I couldn't listen to them. But others, you know, that opened up a whole new bunch of episodes for me to listen to. And then yeah. I did another re-edit in 2020 after learning another five years worth of, oh, uh, okay. you know, things. Yeah. And then the software would get better and then, you know, you could fiddle with it a little bit more. Um, yeah, but I do have my playlist of about 30 episodes that... You know, they're in the high rotation. And there there would be, there would be some episodes that I'd, I'd probably heard 10 minutes of, you know, 15 years ago and haven't revisited since. So I suppose in a way I've got the joy ahead of me of if I had gone to the effort of saying, what's the latest, most brilliantly restored version? There's probably so much more goons joy out there for me that I could, you know, latch onto. At night at midnight... I waited in a specially darkened doorway for the coming of the stranger who was to guide me on my perilous mission. I was so heavily disguised that not even my own mother would have recognized me. Evening, Nettie. Good evening, Mother. (laughs) But wait! But wait! Who is this approaching, wearing an anthracite tie, lead waistcoat, with an electric guitar plugged into the train lines? Are you Nuddy Sregoon? I am. Good, oh, good. You've been waiting long? Yes. Who for? <laughs> you, you idiot! Oh! Now, Fine. 
How do I get to the firing line to President Fred's headquarters? How do you get there? You go straight up that road there. But they're shooting down it. Oh, don't go that way. <laughs> you take this road here. They're not shooting up that one. That road doesn't lead to oh, it. Oh, don't take that one. Uh, I went on to BBC, sounds as it wasn't when I went on there. Mm. And um, I got President Fred, you know, the latest version, and it was so much clearer and so much nicer. And the bits had been edited back in, which I think I've heard you on the podcast speak previously about, you know, when they'd um, take it from the various sources and then put certain bits back in that had been cut out of some versions. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because well, the thing about, um, well, let's get into it. I mean, Foiled by President Fred um, is what we are focusing on today. Um, but it was released, um, it was like before the BBC started putting out LPs in sort of the early 70s, um, there was a handful of LPs issued by EMI um, with all the music material edited out. So Galdray and Allington edited out. Oh. And... Um, Foiled by President Fred was issued on an LP in October 1971. Um, and the LP was called First Men on the Goon. And it's got an awful <laughs> cover. Really bad cover. Oh, oh. Um, and uh, it was on the other side, it was um, the episode Robin Hood. Um, but yeah, the, the episode that I've listened to now for, for the purposes of research for this is the fullest episode possible, you know, fully restored by, by Ted Kendall um and it's a great show i mean it's probably as we kind of we were talking before we started recording it's probably one of the most when it in terms of plot it's one of the most complex co plots oh. for a goon show i would say i mean i could you know uh, admit to still not knowing 100 percent what on earth was going on with the the final few minutes because there's so no. many double cross i mean we'll get to that obviously but uh, yeah it's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a good one for that reason. It is, and it's um, well. Before we get to it, let me let me just. I like to give a little bit of context in terms of uh, the, you know, the time that these mm. shows go out. So this this is uh, foiled by President Fred is series six, episode seven, and it was broadcast first of November nineteen fifty five. Now, I always like to look at what's going on in the world in the news. You know the day that these shows go out just to just you know it it fills fills a bit of time jeffers to be honest yeah, right um, now i'm looking forward to this well okay so there was a lot of you know boring stuff going on first of november 1955 but this story this news story did intrigue me okay um so on that day um john gilbert graham killed 44 people okay Whoa. Now, so you, you, I mean, that's you think. Well, how how can that be? Did he go on a killing spree or something? No. What he did, he planted a a dynamite time bomb on an aircraft. He oh. planted it in his mother's suitcase because his mother was going was flying on a on a flight. He wanted to murder her and claim her life insurance money. Okay. Oh my goodness. Um, so he put this bomb. I don't know how he thought he would get away with it. Okay. He put this dynamite time bomb in his mother's luggage. She gets on this United Airlines flight uh, in Colorado. Bomb goes off. All these people die. 
the, the police do their job. He gets arrested, charged, convicted and sentenced to death. And he he's executed in early 1957. He purchased the, the life insurance policy for his mother in the actual airport terminal just before she departed on the plane. Oh, no. Uh, um, well, so, you, crazy, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, that's not a very bright move. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was um, that was the only sort of uh, event of significance that I could find for, for 1st of November 1955. Um, so uh, Spike wrote the script on his own. Uh, it was also, as well as being issued on uh, an LP, as I say, it was also published in the Goon Show Scripts book, the first book of scripts. And the script, the actual original script, there are some additions or the, the, there's certainly some bits in the script that were not either performed and not included in the final edit or they just weren't recorded at all. And I'll, oh. I'll come to those. Um, but I always like to uh, read the Radio Times synopsis when there is one. Regular listeners will know that uh, shows from Series 5 into Series 6 uh, almost always had a Radio Times synopsis, sometimes quite a lengthy one, as in this case. And I've I've often sort of uh, reflected or mused as to why the Radio Times abandoned these synopses. And I, I do oh. have the answer now as a result of this show. Okay. So uh, here's the synopsis. Two poverty-stricken foreign devils, Senor Gritpipe Thin and Count Moriarty, skint to the wide, are one day watching TV in their chicken run in a King's Cross back alley when Nettie Seagoon arrives to empty the gas meter. Staggering under the weight of a sack bursting with coppers, he foolishly accepts an offer to join them in a quarter bottle of Maurice Ponk's doped Applejack. While still reeling from the effects of this vicious carousel, he is introduced to Gladys Knees, a diaphanous spy and part-time dustwoman, who induces him to sink further into the abyss of vice by partaking of a portion of heavily loaded smoked haddock. Before he lapses into unconsciousness, he overhears the mysterious Count Jim booking reservations for South America, and he realizes that once again he has become enmeshed in the plot to kidnap President Fred and relieve him of his historic portion of the international Christmas pudding. Uh huh. <laughs> so, so um, as, it doesn't match a, up terribly well. <laughs> no, actually. well, a lot of them don't, and I think I would say most of them don't. And it's like there's this elements. It's uh, barely on nodding acquaintance with the actual show. Um, interesting, the mention of the International Christmas Pudding, which was a show which uh, turns up a couple of shows after this. Um, ah. Uh, and also Maurice Ponk, who is a, is a is a regular name. Um, Maurice Ponk turns up as a character or is referred to in Napoleon's Piano. Um, uh -huh. And also, I think, the episode The Secret Escritoire from earlier on in the series... Uh, and also Maurice Ponk or Maurice Ponk is uh features in uh the case of the Muccanese Battlehorn. Ah. Played by I think Dick Emery. Uh by the way, just on that, uh when this episode is recorded, uh Peter and Spike were actually filming the case of the Muccanese Battlehorn during oh, really? this period. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so obviously, you know, Spike has got the name Maurice Ponk very much in mind around this time. Uh, 
the reason, yeah, this was the last ever Radio Times show synopsis. They dropped it after this episode. And um, the reason appeared to be that, um, well, earlier on in the series, uh, they had printed a synopsis for, I think, the fourth episode of Series 6, which was to be the Sale of Manhattan episode. Ah. But Spike actually dropped Sale of Manhattan script in favour of Napoleon's Piano. So the the synopsis didn't match up with the actual show that went out that week. And a couple of shows later, uh, the Radio Times did a synopsis for what was to be The Terrible Revenge of Fred Fu Manchu. And it was dropped in favour of Rommel's Treasure that week. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, both The Sailor Manhattan and Fred Fumanchu, you know, did go out as proper shows subsequently. But basically, the Radio Times were being wrong-footed by Spike in terms of what shows were printed and what shows actually went out. So they decided, look, it's better just to just to abandon it. I'd say um, so. And then even if that hadn't happened, I think, you know, if they were getting fed accurate synopses of these things, that this episode might have broken them anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. The synopses just don't just don't match up, do they? Spike having a little bit of devilment, I suppose. So the show itself now, it's it's a very good show. Um it's not it's not one that I it's not to me it's not gag heavy particularly. I don't know if, if you agree. There's not a lot I don't I feel there's not a huge amount for Harry Seacomb to do. There's no there's no big sort of barnstorming scenes for Seagoon. Um no, no. who by the way is introduced throughout as Nettie Seagoon, but at one point introduces himself as Harry Seagoon. <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on that. I did not pick up on that, no. Um and he does have a Seacomb does have a role sort of at the beginning at the the meeting of the South Ballam Gas Board, he he plays a character who I believe is more or less his his old uncle Oscar character that he would occasionally uh, play. In a way, I was sort of so distracted by um all the other you know great bits with all the other characters that yeah it didn't occur to me that Nettie was sort of being shortchanged in that way. Um, I mean, you're quite right because people spend ninety percent of the episode trying to get rid of him. They just want to get him out of the room as quickly as possible. Or yes. send him somewhere else on a wild goose chase. Yes. Um, so, yeah, no, you're right, but uh, yeah, I would argue it's not poorer for it. But, you know, it, it's typical of what I'd say. It's You need Nettie Seagoon and you need Harry Seacomb being that character. Uh, maybe not all the time. Yeah, I'm not saying he's this upstanding, you know, morally upright sort of chappy because uh, he'll he'll do his cowardice and uh, he'll do the odd bit of manipulation and uh, serving himself and stuff like that. But I mean, compared to the other characters, he is uh, by comparison a paragon of virtue, especially in this one because he's just you know trying to do his job in a very straightforward and honest manner. And uh, he doesn't give up. His work ethic is awesome. But no, I mean, is it wrong to say that in Spawn, of course, you know, you had Dick Emery and I, I love Spawn. I mean, um, is, is oh, that okay. unusual in, in Goon's fandom? Mm, no, I mean, that generally I feel is, I, I don't think anyone, I, th- I think the general consensus is that any of the shows that didn't feature one or, well, one of the Goons, the actual Goons, uh, you know, a, a poorer for it if you like. Um, oh, well, that's true, yeah, but uh, I enjoyed it all the same, though. I was coming back from 
morning classes one evening <laughs> in her park, and I was brushing the grass off my knees when suddenly... Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, there's some smashing nurses there, isn't there? What, 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 what? Remove those evil thoughts from your mind to mine. Never! <laughs> I can get them free on the National Health. Gad, I must vote Labour next time. They're all red-hot Labour in this ward. So this is the Labour ward. Up! Up! <laughs> Uh, he actually he appeared in um, quite a number of series three shows when Spike was off ill, which oh. they don't exist anymore. Um, yeah, I mean the episode is an, is not announced as it's a great title for a start, foiled by President Fred. What a great title, you know. Yeah. Um, yet it is it is announced as the the title is officially announced as in on a bound. Mm, did you look into this at all? No, I didn't. Did you? Yeah, I did, and you know there was no uh, book called in on about. I mean, there was one in the nineteen nineties. Um, yeah, so no, no famous films or books or uh, even songs or anything like that are called in on bound. So, yeah, yeah, no, was... no easy research references. No, um, I was too lazy to, to to attempt my own research. But yes, I'm just wondering whether it was a a, f- a phrase in common usage at the time to do with I don't know diplomats or something. Not I'm not I'm not sure, but uh, uh-huh. but obviously the the premise was inspired by the the coup that ended the mm. second presidential term of um, President Perón in Argentina. Yeah, which which happened in September '55. I don't know. I mean, like everybody, I suppose the only thing I really know about, you know, I've not done my research again, but the only thing <laughs> most people know about President Perón is his wife, um, yeah. Eva, Eva Perón or Evita, who who died three years earlier. For some reason, for some reason, I thought she was, you know, she'd sort of lived on into old age, but no, she died quite mm. young. Um, I've never seen Evita. Um, I know, I know the song or songs, a few of them, but that's about the extent of it. Well, um, I've never seen it either, either. But of course, uh, goodies fans, uh, I'll state the obvious for them, um, is that of course there's the famous Tim Brooke Taylor dressing up as Evita, and he sang "Don't Cry for Me, Marge and Tina." That's um, right. Which people love. They love it. It's so funny. I remember, uh, and it must, and it's probably. It was probably off the back of that goodies episode. What year would that have been? 78, 79? I wish I knew, but yes, I'm going to say uh, you're probably bang on because um, that was in the episode Politics, which might have been a Series 7 or Series 8 episode. So it's late goodies. Um, Yeah, certainly. I I definitely remember around the age of five or six. So around that period. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, there was a, I don't know, we, myself and friends, there was, there, there was kind of, we would, we would sing or we would say, don't cry for me, Margentina. Yeah. Um, and that was probably off the back of the goodies. I reckon. So, mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> um, so in the script, so foiled by President Fred, in the script, he's sometimes, in the script, he's referred to sometimes as, as President Fred Perron. So the script does actually make it quite explicit who he's based on, but in the actual show, as recorded, the name Peron does not occur. Oh, uh, at least I believe. No. 
So the the show begins with the annual meeting of the South Ballam Gas Board. Gentlemen, <laughs> I have here the books for the um, um, uh, financial year just ended. Well, uh, well, uh, by the look of them, gas is here to stay. <laughs> I am glad, well, glad well, uh, to stay. <laughs> To say that the South Bellum Gas Colossus has made a gross profit of no less than three pounds, twelve shillings, and ninepence. It proves, it proves that the, the hard work pays. Now then... Have you seen my teeth? <laughs> You left them on your saxophone. Oh, yeah. And then they discover that there's an outstanding debt of four pounds, nine shillings and sixpence. <laughs> and it's owed by President Fred of Argentina. And and the reason that uh, the South Bellum Gas Board supplies gas to Argentina is because in 1939, Bloodnock shipped a cylinder of gas there. Yeah. Which... Um, oh, which is you know, kindly explained to us by Greenslade. So already... He's having to explain things to people, a bit of exposition, but um, yeah, yeah. Yes. So Seagoon visits Major Bloodnock, and Bloodnock, uh, uh, you know, agrees to uh, guide him to President Fred's headquarters, which is under siege. And and uh, I wanted to mention, so when Seagoon meets Bloodnock uh, in the script or in the show, I should say, as recorded, Bloodnock keeps sort of pushing him out of the room and then at one point Sigun knocks on the door persistently and Bloodnock says you can't come in I'm in the bath mm. and Sigun and Sigun says what are you doing in the bath and Bloodnock says I'm I'm watching television um now in the script uh Sigun says what's showing and Bloodnock says my dear fellow nothing I've got a towel around me okay yeah, which is a very nice little gag now that wasn't in the actual show, was it? That bit? No, no. I've, in researching for this, I came across um, a version of the script that, in light grey, has all the stuff that I've never heard. Right. And there's a few mm. of these scenes, so I'm looking forward to going through them. Yeah. Now, did uh, I'm guessing? I mean, Spike wrote that in the script. It it either was recorded and then cut out, which possibly was the case. Um, did they feel that it was a little bit too near the knuckle. Yeah. It, it paints a picture, really. It does. <laughs> mm. I mean, there's no other, there's no, no other conclusion you're going to come to. No. So, yeah, so, so, so Bloodnock arranges for Eccles to be Seagoon's guide to President Fred's headquarters. I think, I think that's the case. Um, there's a, there's a gag that is, is very well known that gets another airing in this show where Sigun says that uh, he's, uh, he says, that night at midnight I waited a, in a specially darkened doorway for the coming of the stranger who was to guide me on my perilous mission. I was so heavily disguised that not even my own mother would have recognised me. And then you have Sp Spike as throat saying, evening, Neddy. 
Good evening, mother. Good evening, <laughs> okay. mother, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Now, that gag is very well known because it was um, a version of that was in the Series 5 show Dishonored, okay, which in itself was remade for Series 9's Dishonored Again. Okay. Ah. And Dishonored Again was on the first ever LP issued of ah. the Goon Shows, okay, um, with Tales of Old Dartmoor on the other side, and that was issued in 1959. And it it's just, it's one of those shows, Dishonored Again is is just, um, as with Tales of Old Dartmoor, two of the best-known Goon Shows ever, just because so many people bought that LP. So, I mean, my dad used to quote lines, my late dad, used to quote lines from Tales of Old Dartmoor all the time because he'd, you know, he either used to own the LP or had, you know, listened to the LP on a regular basis. So, yeah, so that that's a gag that uh, Spike had uh, filched from Dishonored. I'm sure it probably turns up in other goon shows as well that, you know, that, that I can't bring to mind at the moment. But uh, in this episode, it doesn't become immediately apparent, but Eccles is quite... What's the word? Wily? You know what yep. I mean? He's he's quite he's Which is quite it's it's, it's atypical. He um yeah. I mean we're gonna find out that he, he does better a few of the people's schemes uh in a very unusual way. So it's um well I mean unusual in that it's Eccles doing it. So yeah. he does get the best of people. It's quite amazing. And that's one of the reasons why it sort of stands out for me anyway. So we should go back and explain that this is um, in the sewer. So, right. um And it is hilarious because, of course, um, Bloodknock has sort of gotten rid of Neddy by saying, look, um, you need to go and see President Fred. You can't get to his room because it's it's up there in the square and you'll get killed in the hail of gunfire, you know, from the various factions all shooting at each other. So I'll send someone to guide you. And unfortunately for Neddy, uh, it's, it's Eccles. And Eccles just says... You know, go straight up there, you know, which is Route 1. It's straight up the worst street you can go up. And <laughs> Neddy oh, yeah, has don't... to say, well, they're shooting up there. He goes, oh, don't go up there then. And Eccles <laughs> is, is zero help at all. And Eccles goes, well, go down this road. And Neddy says, but that's in the opposite direction. And, and so you can see where this is going. And um, Eccles <laughs> just says, all right, well, I'll catch you later. And uh, Neddy has to say, no, no, I've got an idea. It's the sewers. Let's jump down into the sewers. And even though Eccles has done his terrible job, he um he jumps down there with Neddy anyway, and that's yeah that's where they run into Blue Bottle, and and Blue Bottle starts, well, singing the Harry Lime theme from <laughs> the Third Man. <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah. In fact, it was in um, one of the Goon Pods recently that that came up because I'd always wondered who Harry Lime was, but obviously didn't look it up on Google or anything. Yeah, there's a great bit with Blue Bottle here with with Sellers. Clearly, fluffs. Oh, oh! No, wait a minute. I said that right. It's Olay. That's it. It's spelt O. That's it. That is one of the all-time classics. Well, in my view, it's one of the all-time classics. It's just so good, and he, he gets a massive laugh out yeah. of it. Oh, <laughs> brilliant! One of the bits I like is, you know, he has to bribe. Blue bottle into coming along. Neddy does, and he offers him these licorice all sorts. And yeah, Blue Bottle yes. goes, Oh, licorice. I've got to be careful how many of those I eat. Now, I've never binged on licorice all sorts, but should I assume that this is what, say, Rick Mayo would call, you know, you'd end up with a runny bottom? Is oh, yes. This a... Right. Yeah. Okay. 
yes, thank they, you they for have, clarifying. They they have laxative properties. Or uh -huh. has, yes. Oh my yes. goodness. Um, um, but have you ever experienced that firsthand, Tyler? <laughs> Can I ask? I've never been a huge fan of licorice. I like licorice all sorts, but I tend no, to um, I tend to eat the bits around the licorice, if you know what I mean. Yeah, the the pink bits and the yellow bits. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, sorry. So what happens here is they still are struggling to try and get Nettie into this building, which is under heavy fire, to uh, to reach President Fred and say, listen, here, pal, you owe me four, four pounds for this gas bill. Um, so Blue Bottle comes up with a genius idea of putting him in a parcel. And there's another cut bit of script here uh, when, uh, and sorry, the parcel goes off to Moriarty and... Um, it goes to grip pipe because it's in the, uh, what they call the mysterious parcels investigation chamber or something like that. Cause obviously all the mail coming into the building could have bombs in it. So they've got mm. to, um, yep. they've got to investigate every parcel. And what I love is that, um, Moriarty goes, Oh, I don't like the expression on this parcels label, which is a brilliant line. It's just great. <laughs> and then straight away without even a pause, grip pipe just says, all right, Moriarty steam the stamp off this parcel and cash it. And he's pinching every penny and it, it comes back because seven episodes after this um, was Greenslade's story. And of course, you know, they, they outpay the BBC by saying, oh, we're going to give Greenslade five pounds a week. And John yes. Snag says, there isn't that much money. And <laughs> Gritpipe says, yes, it is. I've got five pounds here in used stamps. So I, I like to uh, think he was using the, the South American stamp. Absolutely, and there's, an, there's there, there will be another reference to the Greenside story later on. Look forward to that, listeners. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. And in, in, the, in the in the original script, there was a section that either was was recorded and never never included, or they didn't bother recording it, involving a, a forty ton steam hammer and and a hose and running water and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not any worse off for having cut that stuff out, I don't think. You know, it's there's no gold in there that um, should have been kept, mm. I don't think. But, uh, Can I just ask enough. you, while we're on Grip Pipe and Moriarty, what do you, how do you feel about those characters? Do you like, because you'll have heard, I guess, you'll have heard sort of this period, Grip Pipe and Moriarty, in, in plentiful doses. Yeah. As the series progresses towards the end, they, they've, they've become despicable wretches, both of them. Do you prefer early or late period Grip Pipe and Moriarty? Uh, yeah, well, I'm more familiar with early, and I do love them in that. It's a, perhaps you can help me here, Tyler, because in my notes I do have a, a heading that says um, questions for Tyler, okay. um, assuming that you'll know them all. So there's one that I've never been able to find that I did here as I was going through many, many years ago, and it was they were both... <laughs> we're coming back to the sewer. They're both in the sewer, and they're wearing suits made out of newspapers. And I think Grip Pipe says to Moriarty, stand still, I'm trying to read this article. Do you <laughs> recall which, which episode that might be? Now let's have a look what's in this registered boot. Good heavens, Moriarty, a registered foot. <laughs> What's it say, Gridpipe? It's from our landlord, dear sirs. Owing to complaints from the tenants of the other sewers about your singing and owing after 11 o'clock, <laughs> I do hereby give you a notice to quit. <laughs> or if you like, <laughs> Gridpipe, we've been given the registered boot, kicked out, sewerless, without a street over our heads. We've nothing but the water we stand up in. Great pipe. Great pipe. You're not listening. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was just reading this advertisement on the back page of my suit. Listen here. <laughs> you know, when you're living in the sewers wearing newspaper, you're on you're on in hard times. There were occasions when they were sharing a suit. <laughs> they yeah. were so uh, on their uppers, you know. <laughs> oh, it's classic. But um, no, no, I, I like those. I mean, normally you know, we can sort of flip that question on its head and you might ask someone, hey, who's your favourite character? And then you can sort of go from there. And and in past episodes, I know, you know people have professed their, even though he's an absolute slime ball, their love for Blood Knock. And um, I'm definitely in that camp. I just cannot get enough blood knock. In fact, that's one of the strengths of this episode is that blood knocks in and out all the time. That disreputable. There's so many disreputable characters in the Goon Show, isn't there? And um, oh, he's there probably is. king among them. Um, yes, they're they're more fun. Okay, so anyway, um, Nettie sort of there's the parcel in the parcel testing office. Nettie has burst out of it and uh, caught them by surprise, and he just you know says to Grip Piper Moriarty, "Okay, you owe me four pounds." Um, and they say, well, you know, whoa, 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 let's make sure of this steady on, uh, what, you know, perhaps you should go and read the meter. Uh, so they actually convince Nettie to go down into the basement and read the meter. And as soon as he leaves, grit pipe sort of just goes, hmm, I say how empty the room is without him, which, <laughs> you know, as far as, um, fat jokes go, it's so charmingly worded. It does sound almost like a compliment, but Again, you know, it paints a picture. I think that's some brilliant work. Um, but what's that, you know, nonetheless, what's that, what's that line by? Oh, I think it's Barry Cryer, the late great Barry Cryer. Used to there was a line he used to use about um, the MP Nicholas Soames, grandson of Winston Churchill. Uh, oh, you have me at a disadvantage here. Who's on the Who's on the large size? Or he was. I think he's lost a bit of timber in recent years. Oh, but okay. I think it was. I'm probably wrong, but I think it was Barry Cry used to say about Nicholas Soames, he lit up a room every time he left. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, now, something now, like that. There, there is no other way you can take that as an insult. I think, <laughs> but um, but this one. Uh, yeah, in fact, if you were to try, you don't even need to twist it that much. But by saying someone, you know, how empty the room is without him could uh, be referring to, if you were talking about Harry Seacombe, um, his presence in a room would light up the room. And when he leaves, the room would seem emptier without him, I think, yes. if I was yes. to hang out with Absolutely. Harry Seacombe. So you could grasp at straws and say it is a compliment. It can be, it can be taken both ways. You know, it's one of those things. And that would have no. been one of the first ever goon gags you'd heard because you woke up around this time, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. When, um, well, yeah, it is the parcel. Absolutely. I mean, I would have been a bit groggy, but yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, but um, do you want me to continue, Tyler? Yes, the, please. The yeah, plot as, as it stands. Oh yeah, cool, cool. Um, so the other faction attacks at this stage because Nettie's just gone down to read the meter, and um, this is where we meet a General or General Aston Villa. Uh, yes. Nice little plan words there. Ah. Oh. Uh, do yes. you do you follow anyone in in the British football? No, I don't. No, uh, I don't. I don't. Well, uh, that conversation son... went nowhere because no, no, neither do I. So, <laughs> my my son is a huge Man United fan. We live in the northwest. And mind you, that's no indication of someone being a Man United fan living living locally. But <laughs> um, General General Aston Villa is a, is a great minor character, one off character. Um, and when I had Keith Wickham on the show, 
Yes. He pointed out that uh, the voice that Sellers uses for General Aston Villa is more or less the same voice that he used, that Sellers used when he dubbed a character in the 1950 film The Black Rose. Um, and and if you listen, and I did actually in the Keith Wickham episode, I did include a clip of both as a comparison. I'm not going to do that again. So if anyone wants to check that out, go and seek out the the episode with Keith Wickham from I think October last year. Um, but it's a it's a wonderful voice. It's a wonderful vocal performance, isn't it? It really is. It's uh, I, I can't get enough of it. And you know, again, it's like um, I could listen to Grit Pipe all day, but uh, yeah. General yes. Aston Villa, I could listen to him all day as well. And um, as a character as well, even aside from the voice, he's so smooth because, you know, he's in the middle of this bloody revolution. And there he is just very calmly going through this smooth negotiation with Nettie about the gas bill. And it all ends up in the brilliant line of when he gets back, pay the bill and then kill him, which is beautiful nonsense. It's... <sighs> But you pay the bill and then kill him. Yeah, so yeah. the bill's not going to be paid then, is it? It's going to be in Nettie's pocket, but uh, to state the obvious. <laughs> but that line is so good. There is, I think, some mistake, senor. We have just taken possession here this very minute. We only just lit the gas. Good heavens, I'm, oh, I'm dreadfully sorry. In that case, you couldn't have used more than a therm or two, could you? <laughs> I'll go down and read the meter again. Excuse me. When he comes up, pay the bill and then kill him. Is, is that the last time we see General Aston Villa? Again, well I th- uh, quite possibly. Again, there's probably fans out there, Goon Show fans, who are screaming at the... At the... <laughs> Odd player of choice. Yep. It was bound to happen, bound to happen. Um, Yeah, so then, and this only lasts, what, maybe a minute, and we get this new character, and then the pro-Fred faction Mm. (laughs) counter-attack. That that frightens off the general, and you get this, you know, and Moriarty and Grip Pipe burst back into the room, and uh, all all the the coup military people uh, of the general have fled, and uh, that's when Nettie foolishly decides to come back into the room. He doesn't know any of this. Is Oh, well, I mean, he's... um, Oh, God, actually, sorry, Tyler, I'm lost here. It's easy to do with this particular episode, get it lost. Is. Because it is. Nettie has to leave again for some reason. So, yeah. hang on, just <laughs> to get this straight in my own mind, Moriarty and Grip Pipe tell Nettie, go down and read the meter. He comes back. General Aston Villa has taken over. And General Aston Villa says, hey, bro, I'm not paying your four pounds uh, because I've only just taken over here 30 seconds ago and we've only just lit the gas. And that's hilarious in itself. Like, you've just taken over this this uh, sort of the president's villa and you go, oh, what's one of the first things we'll do in the first 30 seconds? Let's light the gas because they probably <laughs> want to put the kettle on. And then they say, ah, yes, well, um, do you want to check? And Eddie, <laughs> Neddy says, yes, in that case, if you've only been here for a split second, you can only have used a therm or two. So I'll pop back down and I'll read the meter, which Neddy does. And then in the meantime, the counterattack happens. Neddy comes back in. It's Moriarty and Grip Pipe. This must be thrilling for the poor old listener to. Um, and, and this is just <laughs> the beginning. It gets way more complicated from here. 
Well, but, um, there's there's lots of Neddy entering and exiting rooms, shall we say? Oh, there's yeah. a lot of that. But you know, we get we get to center ourselves in the Goons universe because there's one of the good old reliable gags of uh, here's a photograph of two shillings type stuff. Yes. Yeah. There's also, uh, by the way, running uh, leap motif. I think that's the word or the phrase. Oh. Uh, saxophone. Saxophones get regularly referenced throughout the episode for some reason. <gasps> we hadn't brought that up. No. Yeah. Wow. Mm. There's a lot. Have, have you written down how many times or anything? No, you haven't gone no, that I far? Haven't. No. no uh, it's got to be half a dozen. Was it the um, chairman of the South Ballam Gas Board's wife has been receiving saxophone lessons as, as well as God knows yes. what? This is a significant portion of their profits. So he's reading out the balance books at the very beginning, Crun, and they're, they're, they've made a sterling profit for the year of three pounds, 12 shillings and nine pence. And um, one of their, you know, uh, expenses they'd had was the saxophone lessons of three pounds, eight shillings and nine pence. So if they just hadn't given the chairman's wife saxophone lessons, they could have doubled their profits for the entire year. <laughs> but as, as Crun says, you never know when it's going to come in handy. No, well, quite right, oh. quite right. Mm. Shall we get to the the kind of the meat of the episode, which is the 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 whole sort of sacks of money, yes, bit, where you have to kind of take notes or write stuff down to try and follow all this. I think, but um, for some reason, Spike decided on a bit of a handbrake turn and decided to bring up coloured sacks of money. Red and blue yes. sacks. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to kind of navigate through this? I can, can, I can. And mm. and it does make, believe it or not, it does make logical sense because there's they're trying to pull a con, of course. And, um, you know, so Moriarty and Gritpipe want... Because the President Fred wants to be smuggled out of the country so he doesn't get shot. So his fortune is 50 million... Um, I don't know, 50 million what? 50 million dollars? 50 million pounds? Who knows? But, um, so. yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yes, Moriarty and Gritpipe have arranged to smuggle President Fred out of the country in exchange for his fortune. Uh, and meanwhile, they've also sorted out uh, 50 million in forged money because, of course, what's going to happen is Bloodknock, for his part, is going to want a share of this 50 million, which Moriarty and Gritpipe do not want. To, in fact, they don't want to even share it with each other. So they have a, a red sack full of the forged banknotes and they have a blue sack full of the real stuff. Mm. And and this is introduced. Uh, <laughs> so there's, uh, and as, as you rightly point out, Tyler, that there's a lot of comings and goings with door handles being turned and people coming in and out of the room and getting shot and things. Um, so uh, Moriarty uh, basically says, all right, Bloodknock, I've got the 50 million here in this red sack. And uh, Bloodknock promptly shoots poor old Moriarty and uh, takes off with, mm. with the sack full of money. Uh, and it was very funny because he did say, good Lord, that that pistol was loaded. Poor Moriarty. <laughs> Taxi. I wonder if you played the saxophone. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah. Um, and it's at this point that the listener, if you're hearing this episode for the first time, that's when you figure out what's going on because Gritpipe walks in and Moriarty says, yes, yes, I gave him the pistol with the blanks in it and the red sack of forged notes. And that's when we find out for the first time there were forged notes in it. It's intrigue of the highest order. 
And mm. Gritpipe tells Moriarty, oh, that's good. I've got the real money here in the blue sack. So uh, off you pop, Moriarty. You know, you go to the airport and buy us two plane tickets out of the country. Um, and so this is where we get introduced to the concept of the two sacks and what's real and what's not. 50 million, eh? Christmas in Capri. <laughs> Millions of moolah. So what I've got, Tyler, mm. at this point... Mm. Um, Grit Pipe, when he's alone in the room, he says 50 million, eh? And he sings Christmas in Capri, millions of moolah. Yes. Now, um, I did a lot of Christmas in Capri research. I'm not sure if this will make the final edit or not, but yes, I, I did a lot of Christmas in Capri research. I don't know if you're interested in this or know anything about it. Go on. Okay. So first off, I'd always thought he was singing Christmas in Cadbury, you know, as if it was a place named after the Cadbury chocolates. So right. I was dead wrong on that. Good Lord. Um, so you've got <laughs> Grip Pipe singing it. This, this happens a lot in this episode, just like the saxophone repos, uh, references. So later on, you've got Eccles and Blue Bottles singing Christmas in Cadbury in tandem. Uh, you know, plenty of moolah. And finally, Bloodknock sings it as well. And uh, always when they get a sack full of money. And I love this because I think that's one of the things that pulled me in because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I sort of go around the house singing little lines from songs and then changing the lyrics to reflect what's going on with what I'm doing that day or whatever's on our mind or something like that. And I thought, ah, these characters, they're beautifully human, uh, even though they're ridiculous. Yes. Um, and I thought <laughs> Christmas in Cabri might be a real song. So I better Google this. Um, nobody did a song with this title until the 2000s. My th thought has always been because there's a song that goes april in, april in paris. paris yeah and i just thought it was just like yeah. a take on that i reckon you're absolutely right um because capri was seen as at that time capri was seen as like being the the place to be if you were like princess margaret or that set if you know what i mean yeah. well no that sounds about right i mean um April in, uh, so there's the whole April in Paris, chestnuts in blossom. So I figured out which episodes they played this in. And this is all in 1955. So they, they sang it five times in the sinking of Westminster Pier, April in Paris, well, with that same tune, as you which rightly Which is coming up out. on Goonpod soon, by the way. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Mm. Um, and then in the Yeti, which is in my top five um, Goons episodes. It's in my top three, actually. Um, oh, and right. this was This was three okay. episodes later. And they're singing April in Paris again. Um, it comes up two times in that episode. Then they sing it in The Lost Emperor, which is yes. a little bit later that year. And finally, in Foiled by President Fred, it's morphed sort of from, um, you know, April in Paris to Christmas in Capri or Cadbury. Um, yeah. And so yeah. I think you're dead right. But I do wonder, you know, is there a Spike Milligan or Peter Sellers expert who can tell us whether either of them, uh, any of the goons, went to... Uh, Capri for Christmas? Who knows? Oh, you, you could bet money that Sellers did at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so maybe he'd mentioned this for Spike because this episode was went out in November, so he might have said, "Oh, Spike, I'm off. You know, I'm I'm having Christmas in Capri." And then next thing oh, you know, maybe, maybe who knows? Possibly. It's a, it's a, it's a long bow to draw, isn't it? <laughs> oh, blimey! Um, so that's what I spent my valuable goon pod time researching. Tyler. Oh, and by Instead the well, and the thing is, we haven't even mentioned the other songs that get sort of re reference like um, "I Talk to the Trees," which Eccles sings again because he's he's sung that before. 
Um, and also another reference to the man from Laramie. Well, it was a film and then there was a, a song called the man from Laramie, but Jimmy young, I think, I think on the episode I did on Napoleon's piano, I think I mentioned that Jimmy young had had it in the hit parade around this time. So back to the, back to the show Eccles arrives and grip pipe and Eccles have a little tete-a-tete and Eccles says, Oh, Hey, it was a good idea of yours having me pack the two sacks. And, yeah. um, and goes, where's the blue one with all the real money? Yeah. And, and Grip Pipe says, this is the blue one. Yeah. Oh, that fella was right then. What fella? The Oculus fella who said I was colorblind. <laughs> uh, so, and, and just the sheer dread in Grip Pipe's voice as he says, what? So Blood Knock's got the real money? Yes. And uh, then you hear the famous goons as he's um, speeding at the bush. Thank you. Yeah. As he speeds out of the room. And then Blue Bottle turns up. And and it would appear that Blue Bottle and Eccles have been conspiring, um, which is which is quite something if you think about it. It really um, is for them to come up with such a scheme. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I mean, normally they're reactive characters. Uh, Neddy will say, "This is the game," and then Blue Bottle goes, "Oh," and uh, and goes along with whatever the game happens to be. So yeah, they've um, turned that around in this one. Blue Bottle and, and Eccles are there giving the impression, you know, that, oh, they fell for it, did they? We cut to a different room at this point, Tyler, and um, mm. it's, it's Blood Knock's room, and uh, he bursts in and his assistant, Juan, which could be a reference to the president, but uh, I don't think it is, mm. and uh, Juan says, you better take that President Fred makeup off. Um, and Seagoon ha- uh, bursts into the room to... Um, pay the photograph of the four pound note to blood knock mm, mm. yes and all yeah. blood knock wants to do is take his sack full of money and leave the country so he's got to get rid of neddy of course oh, uh, juan juan pack everything i've millions of moolah i must leave before neddy gets back you better take that president fred makeup off oh, oh yes there major blood knock my mission's completed here's a photograph of a four pound note what Wait, wait, wait. This, this note in the photograph, it's a forgery. No. Oh. No. Oh. Dad, I've been tricked. Blood knock. I'll go right back. Christmas in Capri. Let me count the moolah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Hands up. What? Great thundering widgets of clutch. Don't you dare do it. Put down that double-action hydraulic recoil 18-inch moiter. No, it belonged to my mother. What do you want? <laughs> Give me the sack of money. Come, come, Moriarty. Old friends mustn't fall out. Very well, we'll settle this amicably. How? Like this. Ah! Shot through me gaiters. <laughs> the fist he yinked on into my ball got him. Is he dead? Yes. Oh! I'm shot in the cringe. Oh. <laughs> got him. Goodbye. Hello, Nedim. What are these men lying on the floor for? Uh, we haven't got any carpets. <laughs> told me that Bloodnock ran off with a red sack full of banknotes, believing them to be real. And weren't there? No. The real ones are with Eccles. There's there's such a confusion over the the red and the blue sacks and who's got the real money, who's got the forgeries. And all the while, Eccles kind of just seems to be just sort of watching it all, you know, quite calm and collected and and quite happy with everything as as it's going on. Um... And yeah, we've got Bloodnock, we've got 
Britpipe, we've got Moriarty, we've got Seagoon coming and going. And then we have the the sort of the, the the climax of the show, which is where again Blue Bottle and Eccles um have finally they negotiate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, they negotiate over the sack and they do that thing um that they, that we saw Moriarty and and Bloodnock doing before, which is, oh well, you know, you've got the red sack, uh, you have the red one and I'll take the nice blue one, Eccles. Um, he well, he says, I'll, I'll have this rotten, stinking old blue one. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, there's also, there's a, there's a bit in that scene where uh, Blue Bottle says, now we both got sacks and Eccles, yeah. even Milligan says, say that again, which is not in the script. And I'm wondering whether, because it's possibly, it sounds a little bit like Blue Bottle has said sex, not sacks, mm-hmm. S-E-X. I'm just that's that's what I read into that. Now, I'm not going to argue with that. But just on the colorblind element that about Eccles, um, when I did the when we covered the Green Sage story with uh, Donna um, several weeks ago, um, there's a reference to Eccles being colorblind in that, which was just for the purpose of a gag, throwaway gag. But um, <clears throat> but you could you could argue that it um, you know it is. Continuity, if you like. Yeah. Now we both got sacks. Say that again. The red one and the blue one. We have both got sacks. This is a good game, you know, Dad. What is? This is what is unlike in this game. Echoes, which sack has the real money? The blue one. Then we'll split it 50-50. You take that nice red one. And I'll have this rotten, stinking old blue one. <laughs> fine, fine. And you're quite sure that you're not colorblind, aren't you? Oh, no, I'm not colorblind. Ah. Well, goodbye, Ankle. Goodbye, Red Bottle. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's fantastic. And then it it very quickly wraps up the show as as often is the case with this with the Goon show. Uh Seagoon goes back to Balam and um In in defeat and in shame, really. Yeah, and he's and he's he's begging for his job, or he's begging for his old job back because he's been sacked. And then um the, his manager says, I'm sorry, uh it's gone. Allow me to introduce our new guest meter inspector, Balamaria, President Fred. And of course, who is it? It's Bloodnock, and he sounds so happy to be there. <laughs> yes, oh. uh, and uh, and the show ends in defeat for Seagoon once again. Whereas there was a bit in the script, as I'm sure you've seen, that actually takes place. There's there's a there's a bit after this that that wasn't recorded all. I don't think it was recorded. Actually, I think it was just cut from the script. Ah, um, there's a scene. Bait, you know, on the Isle of Capri with Eccles, who's obviously got the money and he's calling over the manager and the manager is grip pipes then. Yeah, because, of course, you know, Eccles just wants, um, by the looks of it, egg on toast and a small mot- pot of tea and grip pipe says, oh, yeah, certainly that'll be 50 million pesos. Yeah, <laughs> that's oh. right. <laughs> you've You've done a fantastic job there of helping me to say navigate through this 
labyrinthine plot. <laughs> Jeff. That's perfectly phrased. Um, very kind of you. And yeah, I mean, um, yeah, if the listener can see how much we were struggling to get through uh, what actually went on. Uh, it needed yep, to be done. That's, it, very often, as I said, you know, we, we don't necessarily follow the show, go through the show scene by scene or whatever. But for this one, I think it, it was necessary. Um, listeners might disagree, <laughs> but but I feel I feel it was necessary, and I really uh, I've really enjoyed talking about it with you today. Look, it's been great to talk about it with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. So, is this is this your all time favorite episode? No, no, it's it's second on the list. I've got to say. So, um, Fireball of Milton Street is definitely number one for me. Ah. Um, love Fireball of Milton Street, uh, but as this was the first, because what what I would like is eventually you're going to cover Fireball of Milton Street, and yeah. uh, I want to hear you talk about that with somebody else, and um, oh. see what perspective that the both of you, whoever it is, bring to it, and I'll really enjoy listening to that. So I didn't want to sort of uh, ruin it, so I went to Foiled by President Fred, which was my first one, as I said. Okay, yeah. good, good. Uh, Fireball of Milton Street is one of those shows that's not really ever talked about much but it's a good it's a good one it's an absolute good it's a it's a, it's a classic one uh and so uh just for for you know we, we, we touched on an earlier podcast of cat flappo it's going strong it's um it's uh how many episodes are you up to now hmm uh well around 12 but i only number what i call the main episodes and then we have bonus episodes so there's three or four of those so probably in reality about 15 uh, episodes are available for listening for people. I mean, it's um, it's not even been a year yet of Podcasto Cat Flappo, so it's in its infancy. And and yeah, and I the last one I heard was the one where it was was it Ben Ralton? Yeah, <laughs> Who'd, um, uh, yeah, which he, I'm guessing is a nom de plume. No, 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 no. That's his actual name. Um, his name, name is, is is Benedict Ralton. Is his name is. Um, and it just happens to so coincidentally sound almost exactly like Ben Elton. And some people have just looked, glanced at the cover and gone, Ben Elton, uh, uh, as you would, yeah. you know, and it's <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's Ben Relton. So yeah, he, he was at the recording of episode two, which is the one, of course, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, which is such an amazing episode of Cat Flap. And uh, oh, he, he yes. was there. Yes, yes, yes. He um he saw Eduardo Catflappo being recorded live, so that's amazing. Uh, yeah, I mean I um I I've mentioned I think more than once on this show, um Uwer sounds a bit rude, the the game show that Richie is appearing on with uh, Gareth Gareth Hale Gareth Hunt. Gareth Hale yeah. <laughs> and Chris Barry and Harry Enfield, he's in that scene, isn't he? Julian, tell that imbecile to stick to the script. I can't get to him, he's in shot. Close up on Ivor! Now, the rules of the game, like the members of the panel, are very, very simple indeed. <laughs> I read out a sentence which sounds a bit rude, and then my good friends here have to laugh dirtily, but then have to come up with a clean version. For example, I never impress the girls because I've only got a tiny... Ooh, penis! <laughs> And of course, the answer is car. <laughs> and listen, you know, listeners who who maybe are not so familiar with Filthy Rich and Cat Flap, you know, if you like Bottom, if you love Rick Mayo, and who doesn't? God, you yeah. know, it's nearly it's coming up for ten years. Next year will be ten years since he since he left us, Jeffers, mm. which is 
terrible, isn't it? Um, ten, 10 painful years, but it seems they've flown by. Yeah. Yes, they have. They have. Um, I was at Queen's watching tennis, would you believe, down in London oh. when it happened. That's why I always associate it with that. Um, anyway, listen, anyone who's a fan of, of, of this podcast, of British comedy, of Rick Mail, um, I highly recommend that you seek out uh, Podcasto Cat Flappo. And also, you know, check out Sitcom Showdown and even the Goodies podcast if you love the goodies. Or, again, if you love comedy, check them all out. They're all uh, in the usual places. Oh, Tyler, thank you. Uh, this has been brilliant. Thank you for plugging those. And um, I love Goon Pod. And uh, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the pod, I would say, than I am of the goons. And that shows you I love oh. the goons. So Goon Pod is... Um, it's exceptional. And so I'm not trying to embarrass you or anything like that. Um, but the work you do is, is brilliant. And every episode is so enjoyable. So uh, I'll continue to listen to Goon Pod for as long as it runs. Okay. The check is in the post. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a red sack or in a blue sack? <laughs> yes. Thanks again to Jeffers. Uh, by the way, the Goon Show that Jeffers mentioned earlier, um, which he couldn't remember the name of, was The Stolen Postman from series eight written solely by larry stevens as always i will be back next week and new show new topic new guest and until then take care of yourselves see you soon bye